Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm really excited about this conversation I had with Ken Coleman. It's probably one of my favorite conversations I've had this year. And part of it is it just really was close to home. Ken was one of the first people who I shared about my new mentorship group, Mama Get Your Life Back With. I talked to him a little bit about it and it launched last week. And so for me, it really feels like what Ken is talking about where it's like, what is this thing that makes your heart sing? What is this thing that makes you come alive? And I know for me, it is coaching women really to be able to thrive wherever they're at in their lives. And this specific group is for moms. And so if this is the first time you're hearing about it, you can check it out at JacquelineWidener.Thinkific.com. And if you want more of just a bite size, figure out what are the things that I am good at? What, what are my gifts and talents? Maybe it's been a long time since you have even thought about that. Um, and you want to begin to throw off some of the things that are holding you back. The fear, the what ifs. What if I'm too old to go after this thing? What if I'm not qualified? What if it doesn't work out? We're going to throw off some of those things in my seven-week course, Ready to Rise. You can also check that out at Jacqueline Widener. .thinkific.com. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with Ken Coleman. He is America's career coach. He's the host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The Ken Coleman Show. He's a number one best-selling author and he has worked with Ramsey Solutions since 2014, offering advice to thousands of people to help them discover what they love to do and land their dream job. His latest book is From Paycheck to Purpose, The Clear Path to Doing Work You Love. Ken, thank you so much for being on Ready to Thrive. I'm so glad to be with you. There's so much alignment, and we just had a blast before we started recording, so I can't wait to do this version. Love it. Well, I was telling Ken before we started that his book is timely to me, and I'm sure it is for so many people listening. 2020 was the year of the pivot. I don't know what we're calling 2021, but it f- almost feels like the year like we kept pivoting and we're like, I'm just spinning out of control, falling mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. So I think really what we need is clarity in this season. For so many people, they have changed jobs either because of their own desire or be- often they have been forced to. And so for some people, it's almost been this forced opportunity to say, hey, is this the direction I want to be going with my life? And so really what Ken has in his book is a manual for how to begin to go after that thing that you kind of feel like it's inside of my heart. And I remember reading this quote a few years ago that kind of said, life is too short to be in a job that you hate. 
And that deeply resonated with me at the time. And I know that will with so many people listening. So Ken, I just love to hear from you in a little bit of your own story of going from paycheck to purpose. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I was a guy that uh, in high school was pretty darn clear on mm-hmm. what it was I was created to do. I thought God had called me very clearly into public service in the political realm. And so I began on, on that path and went hard at it in college. Uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college, I got a job on a congressional race um, and a U.S. House of Representatives race. And so I took that and loved it so much that when they asked me to stay through the election and miss a semester of school, I freaked my parents out and said, absolutely, I'm doing it. And so I caught a taste of it and I tasted the battle and it was amazing. And I go back to school and I was sitting there in classes rotting. You know, it's like, it's like going from the battlefield to a desk job. You know, we've seen that caricature in military movies. I just wanted to go back to the front lines. So ended up leaving. I stayed for another year and a half, ended up leaving for another race, and I never went back. And so I got into it, and I find myself, through God's favor, I'm I'm 23 years of age working for the governor of Virginia. So I'm I'm there. I'm I'm making it happen. I'm super young. It's super exciting. And uh, I knew that there was going to come a point where I was going to have to get out of politics and go to the private sector and get some business background, some leadership experience so that I could run for office one day. So I began on that path. And so I had a couple of great jobs that were building my relationships and network and connections and all that. And then wound up in Atlanta working for a leadership guru, John Maxwell. And it was in that season that I was beginning to say, okay, I'm looking for the opportunity. When am I going to run? And as I began to explore it, I was a bit surprised that I had lost the juice. Mm. Something was missing. And I had been laser focused on this since I was 16. So that was a really unsettling experience. And I'm fast forwarding the journey here. That's good. But I realized at some point that uh, it's not politics. And so began to go through uh, the awareness process of digging and saying, if it's not politics, what is it? And and where am I supposed to be? And it was really, really weird because I'd never been that way before. And... uh, and then realized that it was broadcasting. But the problem with that notion is that my heart was like, you know, ding, 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 when I would think of broadcasting. But my head was going, bro, you're 33. You don't have a degree in it. You don't have any experience in it. You hardly know anybody in it. Oh, did I, did I mention you have a wife and three kids under the age of three? You live in a gated golf community. You know, all of that stuff, okay? And so that was really, really daunting. And as a result of all of that, and we can talk whatever you want to talk about, the other fears and doubts that I write about in the book began to kind of overwhelm me. Yeah. And so I sat sat uh, still for two years. I dabbled a little bit here and there, but I was just terrified. I was full of doubt. And uh, so anyway, that's, that's where I get to the point where I, I've got to really decide. It, it, is this what I'm supposed to do and really meet it head on and decide or else I was going to end up like those cold and timid souls that know, vic- know neither victory nor defeat, the famous Teddy Roosevelt quote, you know, and I think that so many people spend their life on the sidelines and I was heading that direction because it was pretty darn scary 
to look down that path. You know what I mean? It's like the path to purpose, by the way, is not straight. And, but you can see enough. You kind of go, oh, gosh, I can see that bend there. And, ah, I right actually, there. I think the path to purpose has attackers on the way that are just like taking you out. And you're like, oh, my, I, this 100%. is the wrong path. 100%. I want to just go back for a second and talk about that person who feels like I knew what I was going to do. And then you have that thing that's saying, I think it's something else. And there can be this cost sunk bias where we feel like I've already spent so much time. I've built connections. I've, you know, I I'm imagine somebody who's in like medical school who's like, I've gone so far. Oh, this might not be the thing. And so sometimes well-meaning people in our lives are saying, you got to see this through. And, there, and that's actually a good thing in many areas of our life, right? See the thing through mm. as hard mm. as it is. Cause that can also be a temptation of like, Oh, this feels hard now, or I'm not sure. How do we know the difference in that place going back to where you were like, I've, I've put so much energy here. I've, I've told people this, right. We get stuck in all sorts of things. I've told everybody, or they're going to think I'm flaky or I've already spent so much money. So talk to the person who's right there struggling with that, that I've spent so much time and money over here. Yeah. Well, you're stepping all over my toes. I mean, that's where I was. Yeah. And the answer is you've got to listen to your heart because everything you just laid out so beautifully, that's exactly what I thought. And that's the head. Yeah. You know, this stupid thing inside of our head, um, it's fascinating stuff, but there's, the brain itself is a machine. It, it, it's a machine. It, God wired it to be this logic machine for us, this supercomputer, if you will. But the reality is, is that if we're not careful, we will allow this to guide us and lead us. And this is what's supposed to guide us and lead us. Now, I'm not trying to be cheesy here. And, uh, okay, I'm just telling you. And for the yeah, listener, the, he, he went from pointing to his head. Oh, sorry. To his heart. Yes. That's okay. We you, and I are on, you and I are on yeah. video. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, folks, sorry. I pointed my head. So, so we, we tend to let the brain guide us instead of let the heart guide us. So in the scenario you just gave me, I'm going to say to that lady, listen to me, or that person, listen. You're going to have to get real deep into your heart. And when we can silence the head long enough to let the heart speak. So what, the, what does that mean practically? That means I had to turn off this mindset of what are other people going to say? What are other people going to think? What's the rate of failure on this? What's the possibility of seeing? all that stuff? You got to turn all that off because that's the head doing its job. I mean, it the brain is doing what it's supposed to do. It's logically kind of looking at all these scenarios and possibilities. But the heart doesn't care about that. So when you quiet all that stuff and you ask yourself, do I want to broadcast? Why do I want to broadcast? What would I really want to say to people? What would I do with that influence? What's the end result of that? What do I feel like when I'm on stage in front of people? Because I felt it since I was at the age of five when I was the paper boy in a high school play at my Christian school. And I never forget it. 
to this day, I'm 47, I look back and I remember the first time I felt the, the applause of a crowd and the laughter. It was like a tuning fork went off inside of me. That's from the creator of the universe. Because that feeling, that, that, that same response to somebody else makes them want to go throw up. Yeah. But for me, I want more of it. So I'm talking about a deep dive into saying, why do I long to do this? And I've got to allow my heart to actually weigh into the issue. And you start to wonder, what would it be like if I never did this? What if I never experienced this? And that's when the heart goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so the heart begins to overpower the brain because those voices keep coming back. You know, I write about this in the book extensively. Those voices never disappear on the path to purpose. But once our heart is clear and those voices come back, then we retreat back to clarity. And when I experience doubt or fear, I start to go, oh, 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 and then I can go back. Real quick thing on this. William James is known as the father of modern psychology. And he once famously said, no matter how absurd something is, if you repeat it often enough, people will believe it. Mm-hmm. And boy, isn't that true? We've seen that throughout history. We also forget that. We, we hear that. We go, oh, absolutely. That's right. But we forget that that's happening to us every day. See, the voice of fear and doubt is many times lying to us. Time, there are times where it is protecting us. But this idea of you don't have what it takes and, and, and you're going to be a big failure and everybody's going to think that you're, you've lost your mind. Those are lying voices, but those absurdities unchecked keep running around in our head and then they become realities. Well, I think it really, it lines up with um, another Nashville author I had on the show, John Acuff and his mm-hmm. book, Soundtracks. Yeah. And he talked about all these things going on our head. And I remember yeah. him saying something about, you can't do this because your dad was a pastor. Therefore you can't be a this. And those voices of fear and doubt, they often sound like someone in our life who may or may not have said the thing, but we assume that's what they're going to say. And I know for myself, it is in that place of assuming, well, that person is going to think that about me. And I, I often don't have the proof of it. It just comes really loud Um, right back at me. And so what you were just saying there about really being able to quiet our head and get really real. I love that you talk about this idea of getting out like a pen and paper. That's my favorite thing to actually be real and even to sit with God and be like, okay, who, who have you made me to be? What is it that makes my heart come alive? And sometimes we can feel like the thing, it, it should, we should be doing something that we don't want to do. Sometimes that's been the message we've received as Christians. Like God's going to call you to do something you absolutely hate. It's like, well, he's actually created you and wired you in this specific way. And so one of the things you talk about so beautifully in the book is this idea of really kind of what makes your heart sing and what is that thing where you can kind of be in the flow. And for me, I remember maybe about four years ago, my sister-in-law had hosted a small retreat. She invited me to speak. It was like 16 women. And she asked me to speak on something I just learned, identifying what our personal values were. And so I remember preparing, I'd never done anything like this. I prepared a little talk, gave the talk to the women. And afterwards they were like, mind blown, coming up to me and talking to me. And I remember reflecting on that thinking, huh, it didn't feel like work to prepare that. I enjoyed preparing that. 
I loved giving that talk to the women. And I loved hearing about the transformation and the aha moments they had in their life. And that for me was, I would call it like a breadcrumb. Like the first thing where I was like, huh, maybe there's something to this. And so I think sometimes God gives us those little moments, like those little, but it was also a risk to kind of step out and say, like, who am I to give this talk? Are the women going to think I'm trying to say I'm better than them or I know everything, right? Like all of those little things. Well, by the way, that's the evil one because what, what happened is, is God brought an opportunity to you. And as you know, we write about in the book, the, the core of all my methodology is talent, passion, and mission must be in alignment. Talent's what you do best. So you're a really good communicator. You just are. You're verbally gifted. You've always had those verbal skills. We haven't talked about this ahead of time, but I can just go down the list. You're probably high on connection, high on communication. You probably got some great discernment. I'm just kind of picking some of this up. But these are the tools God gave you. That's talent, what you do best. Passion is work you love. So you love communicating. You love developing content to come up with a lesson. And you did that. And you talked about that moments ago. You said it didn't feel like work to you because you really love preparing a, a message, a talk on this subject. And then what really gave you the juice is the mission component. Those are results that matter deeply to you. All work creates results. So mission is results that matter to you. And for you, you said transformation in my get clear career assessment, you would score high on influence yeah. because the result that matters most to you is influence. So you've got to use what you do best talent to do work you love passion to produce results that matter to you mission. For you, it's influencing women to experience transformation. Pretty freaking simple. And what's great about that is there's a tremendous amount of freedom and opportunity in that statement we just came up yeah. with for you on the back end. And so that's the key. And I, I want to give a three-part question um, for people. I just want to give it away real quick and, yeah. and then you take over. But uh, it, it hit me. It's like, this is something I do on the radio with people when they feel like they're all locked up and I just, I got to turn their brain off turn their heart on. Yeah. And here's three part question. Okay. These are for, for folks that are going, I'm not quite sure what, what that mission is. First question is who are the people you most want to help? Who are the people you most want to help? And by the way, I'm a big pencil and moleskin guy, but get a, get something to write with and write these answers out. You've got to get it out of your head and see it. Who are the people you most want to help? I want you to envision them. If you got to close your eyes and you're thinking of single moms, or you're thinking about families that are going through um, financial issues. It doesn't matter. Get a real picture. And by the way, your heart will flood your brain with this if you just get quiet mm -hmm. and ask the question, who are the people I most want to help? Second question, what's the problem those people have or the desire they have? Now, you've already thought of them, so this is a super easy one, but you're gonna, now we're starting to break this thing down. What's the problem they have or desire they have? So, for instance, I had a woman call on the show recently and I walked her through this. She felt like she just didn't know anything. And I was like, There's, this is going to be easy. So I walked her through this. She couldn't give me anything until I went through these questions. She said, well, I want to help women. I said, okay, great. I said, what's the problem those women have or the desire they have? And she went, to be beautiful. I said, you want to help women who desire to be beautiful? She goes, yeah. Like she's kind of ashamed of it. And I said, okay, great. What's the solution? This is the third question. What's the solution to their problem or desire that you most want to provide? 
This is where it gets really personal. And she said, I want to do their makeup and make their face shine. And, 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 and so she's, she's kind of like limping into this as though that's silly. And I said, what? Tell me, have you ever done this? She goes, no. I go, tell me what the result is when you get them out of your chair. I want you to fast forward. They get out of your chair and you've done your thing. What do you want to see them do when they walk away? She goes, I want them to stand taller and feel beautiful and confident. I was like, boom. Okay. So that's a desire, not a problem. Okay. She could design dresses, design shoes. I don't care. It doesn't always have to be this, you know, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching problem we're solving. But I wanted to give people those three questions because when you can begin to dive into that, you're going to see a connection, by the way, to those three answers, to your talent, what you do best. You're going to see a connection to the type of work you love to do. And you're going to see that those answers essentially are the mission, the results you want to create. And you're in that journey right now. Well, I think what really sets your book apart from other similar books is that you talk about the mission and it's because I think what happens sometimes is we can be like, oh, this is what I'm like, identify. I'm good at this. I can communicate. I can, and we can get to the, then what's the middle step? Passion. What you love. Like right. think of the task or the role itself. Like so you can, and I, we yeah. get juiced developing content. Yeah. hundred percent. Could do it all right? day long. Yeah. All day long. And then we also get juiced delivering the content. Yeah. So that, that's, that's work you love. You would do the work yeah. whether anybody sees it or not. Like you love the work. Yeah. So I think it is really, it's kind of mining for that final place. Like that mission, I think is that sweet spot. And that is, I want to now hop back to your story because for you, you moved from, okay, I'm I'm walking down a path to political office. Uh Uh-oh, I need to change things also not the most convenient time of life because it never is. And I think, again, one of the things that keeps us stuck is we will wait for some magical, easy time that never comes. So you have three kids under three. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're pursuing this place. You get to, you actually make some traction mm-hmm. where you are into sports, mm-hmm. radio, I love, Ken has a great story in his book. Oh no, is this the NASCAR highlight story? Uh, where you, you've, he convinces somebody that he's going to basically uh, do an on-air piece. And it's so cringe, it's so cringeworthy. I'm cringing now as you recount it. But, um, and he, <laughs> he blows this opportunity that he set up for himself. But what I love about this story is we can have, passion and we can have talents but we also you're you're very realistic in this book this isn't a hype book you are saying you got to put the time in you need to work on a few things and I think that's the sobering part of pursuing Mm -hmm. this thing that we are going after Mm. but it's also the reality and I I believe when we go into it with more of a realistic expectations Mm-hmm. We're less likely to give up along the way when we feel like we should have arrived much mm-hmm. sooner. So tell yes. me, yeah, take me back to your story, moving and finding your mission. Well, you know, so I start dabbling in sports radio in Atlanta. 
Uh, I do some sports TV and I start experiencing some of it. And I'm going, okay, I got the chops and I'm proving to myself that I can deliver. Uh, but, but, but things weren't happening yet, you know, and it's a tough business to get into. My mm. gosh, it's tough. It's very difficult. Uh, first of all, there's not a lot of positions, so there's not as many seats on the bus. So your percentage chances are already smaller than any other industry because of that. It's just, and it's highly competitive on top of that. So fewer seats, a lot of people fighting for it. So things just aren't happening. And uh, one of the things that, that was a breakthrough for me is I, I kind of had this mentality that so many people have, which is certainly people of faith. So I'm going to step on some yeah. toes here, people of faith. I am one. So That's all I of can, us probably listening. So I, okay, great. Yeah. So I feel like I can, I can step on these toes. The, the real short-sightedness blind spot for people of faith is that we we kind of misinterpret scripture or we kind of customize scripture and so we've learned from scripture that says hey if you ask in faith he's going to answer your prayer he's going to give the desires desires of your heart right we started we started to run all these okay okay here god i really want to be in broadcasting oh god i know it's i know you created me to do it i want to do it but i want to serve you i want to go to broadcasting and and so what happens is is we go okay and and people can't see me right now but i'm i'm sitting there like the kind of the impatient kid on the couch bouncing up and down waiting for dad to finish the christmas story is someone just gonna meet meet you in an elevator and call you and say i think you yeah hey god i'm just hey god yeah, yeah, God, remember me? I've been praying about this for 30 days. I yeah. fasted for four days too, God. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for God to tap me on the shoulder and give me this amazing broadcasting gift. So that's what happens. Except we forget Hebrews. Oh, that darn book. We forget that Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So then we go, okay, oh, what? how does that play into all of this? And And basically, I was confronted with that. And I realized that God's waiting on me to step out. I'm waiting for God to tap me on the shoulder. God's waiting for me to step out. And there's this great scene in one of the Indiana Jones movies. I'm a little rusty and tired, so I can't remember which one it is. But he and his dad, uh, uh, Harrison Ford, of course, is Indiana Jones. And Sean Connery's his dad. And they're running away from these tribesmen or whatever. And they're shooting darts at them. And they're, you know, they're trying to survive. And they come to this great cavern. And it's just, you know, it's the whole, whoa, they stop and the little pebbles drop down into infinity. And they and so we've, we're confronted as movie watchers. Oh, they're either going to turn around and face certain death this way or they're going to step into their death this way. And, and one of them pulls out a little book and it's like a prophecy or some guide or something. It says, if you step out, the stone will appear. And so Indy slowly puts his right foot out. And when he does, the stone appears. Wow. And we all watch with bated breath as he kind of puts his weight on it. And then he puts the second one down and his faith is growing. Mm. And after about three steps, he's like, all right, we got to go, you know, and then they run full speed. And as they run full speed, the steps appear. Now, I know that's a cheesy metaphor, but I'm going to tell you, that's what the God of the universe is waiting on us to do. And so I was, at a, I was in a moment where I was like, nobody is waking up today going, man, that Ken Coleman guy is super talented. That guy has got some potential. I got to call him. But that's how I was acting. And it was in that moment that I had a little wake-up call, a cup of coffee, my Bible, and God on my back patio. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do something about this. 
And uh, I had not had anything going for me. I was in a real pity party state for several months. And I remember that morning feeling that press from God. And if you will indulge me for another 60 seconds, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. So I went inside, and in that time, I had an office in my basement, and that patio was right outside my basement. It was a gorgeous spring morning. And I walked in, and I was feeling the mojo. I was like, okay, I'm going to step out. And so I sat down in front of my computer, and I had been reaching out to radio stations for months on end, several stations not getting any response, no email back, no voicemail, nothing. And I sat down, and I was like, all right, I've got to reach out to some people. Who do I know? that's got any connection in broadcasting. And I was just going through my entire context, just scrolling. And I saw this name. And I said, Elizabeth, wait a second. Elizabeth, I had lunch with her four months ago as a favor to a friend who said, Ken, will you have lunch with me and my friend Elizabeth, who's got a nonprofit. She's trying to raise money uh, through sponsorships. And my wife and I had a small business selling sponsorships, which was keeping us afloat while I was chasing broadcasting. Now watch this, folks. This is crazy. All right. I remember the lunch. In some point in the lunch, I was getting to know her. And she said that her family owned a radio station. And at the moment, you know, it was about her. And so I wasn't going to dive into that. But I made a mental note, but I'd forgotten about it. And in that moment, I remembered how good the lunch was. I thought that she uh, got value from what I gave her. And she was very grateful at the time. I thought, hmm, I'm going to reach out to her. So I send Elizabeth an email. Three minutes or less later, she replies. I say, hey, can I help on the phone with you sometime? I got a quick question. She goes, yeah, I'm available right now. So I call her. She answers the phone. Nice at ease exchange. And I said, hey, Elizabeth, when we had lunch, you mentioned your family owned a radio station. And I was just curious. I'll explain in a moment why. But could you tell me what that connection was? She goes, yeah, it's my brother. I'm co-owner of the station. I didn't tell you that at the time but I'm 50% owner. My older brother's the other 50%. It's WDUN in Gainesville. And I about fall out of my chair because WDUN was a station that I had targeted and had been emailing and calling every month for about three months, not getting any response. And I said to her, I said, well, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. This is my dream. This is what I've been slowly going after. I just, I'm willing to pay for an hour on Saturdays just to see if I'm any good at radio. I feel like I got to try it. I feel like radio is a good path for me. Would you be willing to have a meeting with me and your brother? She goes, I'll tell my brother right now he's going to have a meeting. She goes, I'll have you a response by the end of the day. She goes, he'll meet with you. So she set it up. And the rest is history because I went and had the meeting with him. And he's like, man, my sister just speaks so highly of you. Uh, definitely we'll find an hour for you to pay your way on. And, and so it happened. And I ended up going uh, a year later to full-time doing a show every day for them. And it was the real bridge to where I am now. And so I, I went to tell, I know I took more than 60 seconds. No, that's good. But in that moment, when I realized God is waiting for me to step out, just like Indiana Jones, I mean, he doesn't always, by the way, he does not always act that quickly. But in all, in all honesty, was he acting that quickly or was it already there? He had already given me the relationship. He had, he had already put that in place. I just had to go send a stinking email and ask a question. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure he was involved at that point. I think he was up there kind of laughing, going, You dolt. I said in Hebrews without faith, and, and you just had to step out and make a phone call and ask a question. I had already prepared it for you. That's what I want people to hear. Yeah. It's that 
when we are clear and we are on purpose, God's already laid all that out. He gave you that talent to use. He gave you that passion to fuel the mission. But he just wants to know if you're willing to rely on him. Because here's how God works. If I figure it all out on my own, Ken gets the glory. But anybody who knows my story knows that I had nothing to do with it. And that's another example of that story right there. Well, I love that because I think going back to Indiana Jones, you see the step of faith, the step of faith. And that is what happens when God writes our story and we want the control. And as you were telling that story, I was thinking about how, um, you know, for so many of us, we want, we want the quick fix, right? My husband and I are currently gazelle intense. We, and that's, you know, um, kind of a Ramsey terminology. We're paying off debt and we've talked about that lots in the show. I want, I want a bucket of money to fall from the sky. I want to win the lottery, something, but we are following a budget, which is a plan. And we are, we're making those steps, but so often God will give us just a little nudge, just a little something. It's an idea. It was you going down to look at, um, that list of names and you could have seen Elizabeth and been like, uh, and here, and in that moment you could say, I'm going to reach out to her or she probably doesn't want to hear from me. I probably like, it's easy to talk your way out of it. So a few months back I had this nudge and I was like, I was listening to a song by an artist hadn't heard of her in like 20 years. And I thought, I wonder if she's got more music. Sure enough, she has some new music. And then I think, I wonder if she's on Instagram. So go find her on Instagram. I find out that she has a book coming out. And so I send her this message. Hey, I often have authors on my show. I'd love to have you on my show as a guest. And so she responds. Great. We set that up, have a great interview. And I'm messaging with the woman who helps do some of her PR. And I said, that was so great. If there's anybody else who you work with, who'd be great for my audience, let me know. And she sends me a message back. She's like, well, this isn't my full-time job. I actually work with Ramsey Solutions. And I was like, really? I was like, I, there's some people at Ramsey that have been dream guests of mine. And so she's like, well, Christy Wright has a book coming out in a few months. And I was like, okay. We start emailing back and forth. And then I don't hear from her for a little while. So again, in my head, I'm thinking, I feel like Christy's book is coming out soon. I think I should have heard from her. So I... Again, send an email. Hey, just wondering if this is still a possibility. So I send her the email and she's like, yeah, I'm going to put you in touch with the person who's in charge of Christy's PR. So I get in touch with her, end up having Christy on my show, which was awesome. Email that woman and said, that was so great. Again, if you have anybody else, I'd love to have someone from Ramsey. Emails me back. Ken Coleman would be a great person. And I saw Ken's name come up on my email and I started laughing out loud because Ken has another book called The Proximity Principle that I read years ago. Mm -hmm. And I laughed because I said, oh, this this is the proximity principle right here. This is, you know, meeting one person, following Mm -hmm. up. And again, nothing in that whole line of thinking was I like, I really hope one day I can get somebody from Ramsey. I can do this it was following the God nudge and sending those emails. And 
not necessarily trying to push open things. I think part of it is that um, paying attention. So, so I'm sure you and I could go back and forth with so many stories of our lives where it, it wasn't that it felt like it was going to be something. It was just that almost that little idea of maybe you should try this. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should call that person. Um, and I love how God works that way. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's, there's something that is so rewarding when we begin to build that faith muscle. And it's those early steps that are the scariest, even though they're the smallest. Mm -hmm. But in those early steps of beginning to really trust the Lord, that we develop that faith muscle. And that's why he wants us to step out, because he's going to keep taking us to places where we're going to have to step out. And so we need to build that, that faith is a muscle. Yeah. I mean, it just is. And yeah. we've got to learn how to build it. I love that. Um, one of the things that you talk about in your book that I love are these enemies of progress. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about fear, you talk about doubt, and you talk about pride. Mm. And I think fear and doubt are ones that we can kind of get a bit of an understanding of. We already touched on that a little bit. Can you just unpack pride for me a little bit? Because that was a new one that I thought was so good. Yeah, well, and, and, and again, I live these things. So, you know, the reason I have identified these is because pride was a big one for me because I didn't want to ask for help. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of a turtle on a fence post. No. But if you've ever seen a turtle on a fence post, you and the turtle and everybody else know he didn't get there on his yeah. own. And, and so we forget that, right? We forget that no woman, no man has ever done anything significant in the history of the world has ever done it on their own. And certainly we know we don't do it on our own because it's the Father that gives us the favor. So pride for me, and as I write about in the book, um, I, I'm too worried about what everybody else is going to think. I mean, you, you touched on that, you know. Uh, what are people going to say if I'm in this really good, safe job with a great retirement plan, pension plan, you know, we live in a nice neighborhood, all the things. What are other people going to think and say? That's a voice of pride. Um, I don't want to ask for help. Um, I'm not going to actually do the thing because I'm worried about what my mom and dad are going to say. Yeah. Um, that's pride. That is simply, we are so worried about all this external stuff and how we are going to be viewed that we don't do the thing that we're created to do. And you've got to learn how to ask for help. Hey, I need some insight. I need some wisdom here. Um, and so that's pride. And pride kind of sneaks up on us because fear and doubt are so loud and so obvious. But that pride thing, if you're not careful, it kind of happens. and You're not even aware that you're doing it because it feels it feels so vulnerable even to say, well, I'm afraid to ask. I'm afraid to email this gal and remind her that she said she'd get Chrissy right for my podcast. I don't want to be a nuisance. What? I mean, that's pride. And even just the um, willing to be a beginner or to start at the bottom somewhere, especially if you have been at the yes. top somewhere else. I think that's, oh, can you speak to that pride. a little bit? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm so glad you reminded me of that. Because, I mean, I remember when I did that first radio show, uh, how bad I was. I mean, I knew I was bad because it was a new discipline. I mean, I could speak. I mean, I could stand up in front of, you know, and I, at that point I was doing leadership interviews and had spoken in front of thousands. But radio is a completely different discipline. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's just a different thing. And so you're nervous because you got all these lights and it looks like you're in a 
cockpit of a jet. It's just, it's just intimidating. And so I remember not being very good. And I think years later, I look back and I realized, and I tell my audience, um, and this is PG-13, everybody will be okay. But you got to embrace the suck. You really do have to embrace the early days where you're awful. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you know, if you think of those first days when you rode a bike, you know what I mean? It's like the first time that, you know, your mom or dad let off the seat and you didn't realize it. Yeah. And you're kind of wobbly and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there is no we riding the bike down the hill, no hands until we wobble and crash and take the skin off of our knee. So it's that idea too. So we embrace that in other areas of our life, right? But we're so f- afraid that once we're adults, that if I've got to pivot or make a change, that there's going to be a learning moment, a learning season, if you will, where we're going to suck a little bit. But 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 again, like that's that's how you do it. I mean, anybody who does anything successfully uh, just goes, all right, this is the early days. This is the rough, humble days. And I got to learn how to do it. And you just kind of go, let's do it. I mean, same thing with having a kid. You know, it's like terrifying to have that first kid. By the time kid three rolls around, you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, yeah, it's a disaster. There's no doing it good anyway, right? So it's like, but we're so worried about, you know, oh, am I going to be good? Am I going to be awful? And you touched on this a little bit ago. Uh, You know, is it the right time? Is it the right time? And the answer is, if you can do it, um, even on a small, small level, it's the right time. And those little steps, by the way, mitigate the disaster. It's really hard to skin your knee if you're walking slowly. Because even if you wipe out, inertia says it's not going to be that disastrous. I think that's the problem. I think we as humans think we got to go full sprint and be awesome and nail it and everything. And so we're thinking about how horrific the wreck could be when in all reality, when we learn to ride a bike, we're on training wheels. So that wreck is very different than the first time we ride without training wheels. Yeah, so good. I want to talk to the person we're, we're going to kind of wrap up, but I want to focus on the person who feels like they, they have the clarity They're They've been going for this thing for a while, mm-hmm. but they feel discouraged mm. and they feel like maybe I need to give up. Like maybe I'm not, maybe this isn't the right thing. And I'm, I'm even thinking, you know, my husband, 20 plus years ago, um, he moved to our neighborhood that we're in um, and he works with an organization called Young Life, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. And he started a new Young Life group in uh, our local high school, but he probably was there for about five years and maybe had one kid going to camp and a well-meaning senior staff member sat him down and said, hey, I actually think this may not be the right thing for you. And fast forward three or four years from that point, he had the biggest club. Something just died on my, it's all good. Uh, He had the biggest club in Canada Mm -hmm. and he was kind of the poster child, but he was, so he was actually very close, but he felt like at that moment, I kind of feel like I want to give up. So what would you say to the person who feels like, I kind of know in my gut, this is who I've been created to be, but at the same time, it's not happening. Yeah. There's a great parable that I read once about an old man who was walking down a country road by himself. And he was 
on the edge of the dirt road and to his right was a fence and for whatever reason some kind of a a wiggle or a wobble or a flutter caught his eye and he stopped and he looked closer and he saw a cocoon and he saw as he looked closer he saw two little legs poking out the edge of the cocoon it was obviously a butterfly going through metamorphosis and trying to get out of the cocoon so he watched it for a second and he saw the legs kind of kicking really hard and then they got tired and then they stopped and he worried oh something wrong with the butterfly and so he kept watching and then he saw the legs start to kind of pick back up again and he thought oh this is i can't let this thing struggle i gotta get it so he reaches down and he gently opens the cocoon the butterfly comes out goes up and then immediately falls down to the ground and died seconds later and he realizes in the moment in his desire to help the struggling butterfly he actually released it too soon its wings weren't strong enough for it to actually fly and to be that beautiful butterfly that it was created to be. My answer is embrace that struggle. We talked about embracing the suck, but the struggle is when we're on mile three, four, and five, and the starting crowd, woohoo, they're all gone. I can't see the finish line. It feels incredibly lonely. It feels like nobody sees us. They don't see what we're doing, and it feels as though we are just wasting our time and effort. And what I would say to you is, God, the creator of the universe, put that butterfly in the cocoon and it has to struggle mightily for a while. And when it finally gets strong enough and breaks through the cocoon, then and only then can it be what it's created to be. And so we've got to embrace the struggle. And so God, we talked about faith earlier, God wants us to step out. He does. But as we step out, we're eventually going to get into that season where we're feeling like we're in the cocoon and we just can't get a breakthrough. But had that old man let that butterfly struggle, that butterfly would have eventually broken through. Uh, Don't miss what God has for you in the struggle. It is the struggle which gives us the strength for the ultimate journey. Um, Absent of the struggle, we won't have the strength to truly be who we're created to be. And so in those moments, you've got to look for specifics. Okay, what am I dealing with the most? What's, what is soul aching? What is a distraction? Okay, I'm, I'm dealing with, I am not patient. Okay, well, I can tell you this. Absence of patience, you'll never truly live on purpose mm-hmm. because patience is an extension of faith. So if I believe God's in it, If I believe that God has created me to do it, therefore I will develop the discipline of patience. I just will. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible from Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord, depending on your translation, but I like the old school translation, they will mount up on wings like eagles. So he's talking about, Isaiah's talking about soaring. We're talking about, you want to talk about majestic, effortless. We've all seen it. The eagle is just soaring at great height and great smoothness. Then he says, it's so interesting to me that Isaiah does it this way. He starts with, those that wait upon the Lord will soar, right? Will mount up on wings like eagles. Then he says, and they will run and not grow weary. And then he downshifts again. (laughs) And he goes, they will walk and not grow faint. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a talk on this right now because God's just pounding me personally on this. I got three teenagers 
I'm going through it. Okay. Yeah. I'm just telling you. Okay. I got big vision on my, what, what, what God's doing with this book and everything else. And I can get so far out there. Mm. I want it to happen tomorrow. And so watch what happens in that verse. You all right if I preach a little bit on this? Yeah. So here's the deal. So we, when we wait upon the Lord, we all get the soaring. There will be seasons. Watch this. Seasons and paces. I think that verse, Isaiah, is showing us that there will be seasons where we have different paces. There will be seasons when we soar like eagles. There's going to be seasons when we run and we don't grow weary. Come on, I'm talking to you, moms. You're running right now. You're literally chasing kids. You are running all day long. You're running. It's not a glorious thing. I think the soaring like eagles is the fun, glorious stuff. But this run and not grow weary, you're in a sprint of parenting right now. And then he goes and he downshifts. He says, you'll run and not grow weary. So I believe God's going to give you the strength in this season where you got to run. Because he says it. You won't be weary. I'm going to give you what you need to be able to run to sprint when you got to sprint. But then he says, and they shall walk and not grow faint. And I think this speaks to seasons of pain and recovery. Even those of us that are, you know, that uh, I'm not, I don't know why I'm saying us, good grief. But the senior citizens, the people on the end of that journey where their pace slows, right? but they're not going to faint. And so I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah, so good. But I, I, I just, again, it is the struggle. And I'm, I'm talking about the struggle being waiting. Yeah. Well, waiting on the Lord. As, as you were talking before you even said it, I was like, Ken is preaching. So I love it. Um, and to myself, to myself. No, it's good. And I, um, I'm a bit of a word nerd and I, I just checked my well, favorite blue blue letter Bible app, uh, and that word "wait" um, in the Hebrew is a verb, yeah. and it's it's hope, expect, wait, or look eagerly for. And I have felt like one of the ways I've loved to share about that verse as well is when you're waiting for people to come over for dinner, you are not sitting on the couch. Like you are cleaning the bathroom. You're getting it. Even if you've already cleaned your house, you just keep going. Like you're like, people are coming over. I'm going to do all the things. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the waiting really as well in that verbiage. And so you give in your book, um, the next step for people mm -hmm. in their wait. Like we already talked about this earlier, this idea that we can get our clarity. God, I know you've made me for something more. And now I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait for that phone call. I'm going to wait for that job opportunity. Um, whereas it is that there is another verse in Hebrews and I don't know where it is, but it actually said, I want to say Hebrews six, but it's like God waited on Noah. Mm -hmm. And I think about like, yeah, Noah was working hard, mm -hmm. but God was still waiting for him to do the next thing that he was, he was called to do. And so I know Ken has wrestled with this and struggled with this. And I have as well, just that, what do I do in this moment? Like, what is God um, calling me to? Um, what's the next step in this wait? It's not passive. No. We are moving towards. And then the pace that Ken was talking about, that God really has graced us for a pace in each season. He's not trying to, he doesn't want to use us and abuse us and have us just do things for him, but really invite us 
Um, and that's, that is even some of the weight is that it feels slow to us, but it is his grace in the slowness. So good. Ken, I've loved, um, reading your book, um, from paycheck to purpose. Mm. I know people are going to, um, really be encouraged. They'll be given really, like you said, a clear path and steps. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as, as well as just the encouragement that people need. So where can they find your book? Where can they find you? Mm-hmm. Well, kencoleman.com is a, is a great resource to uh, buy the book. You can get it cheaper than anywhere else. We throw in the ebook, the audio book, which I read. Um, so many other free resources if you want to order that. Um, the Get Clear Career Assessment, also available at kencoleman.com. And then uh, all the social is there where you can listen to the show because I have callers. I took a call today yeah. from Paris, France. Cool. So um, as you know, podcasts and YouTube has made the world very, very flat. So KenColeman.com, uh, a great way to connect with us. And we'd love to uh, connect. And I would also say I go on all these programs. And one of the things that I offer is a free phone call. Um, cool. 844-747-2577. The number's on the website. If you feel like, hey, I want to call, I, I need to be encouraged, or I need you to equip me on some decisions. Um, it's a free phone call. You can change your name, change your location. We want to give people privacy because these are sensitive things. And so we want you to feel safe. So if you feel like calling the show, give me a shot. Um, and, you know, it's worth what you pay for. It's a free call. So if it's not any good advice, I mean, what are you worried about? You know, I, I have listened to Ken's show. It is, it's worth listening to. It's worth calling in if you have a question. Ken, thank you so much for being here today. I trust this has helped the listener move one step closer to thriving. Well, thanks for having me. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but... When someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.